Hello, and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Wirth, your host, a registered dietitian here in New Haven, Connecticut. And um, I'm really excited to welcome you to episode 14. We are on episode two with new equipment, and so far I haven't lost it yet or had it stolen, um, so that's a big plus. <laughs> um, I hope you all survived the heat and the crazy rain and lightning last week. It was wild, um, I, at least here in Connecticut, and I, I'm pretty sure most of the country actually was was crazy warm. Um, so hopefully we're all past that and feeling a little bit better. Um, it's really hard to feel good when it's, I don't know, feels like a million degrees outside. So um, now I'm back on track and I hope you are too. So uh, for our news item today, I just wanted to talk about Amelia Boone's um, piece per blog post that came out and, you know, the many articles that have been published since um, from Runner's World to many other publications. It's kind of been across the health and wellness um, sports community for the last couple of weeks. Uh, so I definitely think it's important to talk about. For those of you who aren't familiar with Amelia, um, she is a uh, elite ultra marathoner and obstacle course racer. She's got a really active following on social media and she's pretty funny. Uh, I, I've never talked to her or anything, but at least following her is entertaining most of the time. She has had a lot of stress fractures and that is what the public has known up until she published this blog post uh, telling everyone, you know, she's had a decades long battle with anorexia. So um, it's really brave of her. It was awesome to put that out there. Just like, you know, myself and others who are starting to talk about our eating disorder in public, uh, it's really difficult that first time. And it's, you know, not not always looked upon as a positive. So you don't know what the reaction is going to be. So for um, anyone ever considering, you know, stepping out there, no, even people like Amelia, uh, who have a big following, are used to speaking in public, are used to their you know life being public, have a hard time um, revealing that they have an eating disorder or any kind of illness, really. But a lot of the articles, I want to bring up what they talked about. So they mentioned how Amelia, you know, had these stress fractures, and those are caused because when you have anorexia or uh, most eating disorders, you have a lack of energy coming in. So a lack of food, a lack of nutrition, a lack of calories in simplistic um, terms coming into your body. So you can develop, you know, one of two things, relative energy deficiency in sport where, you know, your expenditure is so much, it's way more than what you're eating and your body starts to break down because of it. The other thing is specific to women and that's the female athlete triad. So um, it is a trio of things that often happen in sport and the first is uh, that you have stress fractures or osteoporosis or something like that your bones are losing mass or breaking the second is amenorrhea or loss of a period and that is like <laughs> the number one indicator that you aren't eating enough you're not taking in enough energy and that's something that um, you know it's starting to be talked about a lot but it really was always looked at as normal that women uh, especially runners would lose their period and it was just like oh yeah like lots of runners don't have their period 
Um, but actually, that's not normal. If you don't have your period, that's an entire, you know, system of your body that's not working. That's your body has shut down because it doesn't have the energy to maintain. So amenorrhea, not normal um, in sport. It's not healthy and it shouldn't be viewed lightly. It's a, it's a big sign from your body that like, hey, you need to eat more or, you know, exercise a little bit less. You need to have a better balance than what you're doing. And the last thing, once you have stress fractures and um, amenorrhea is an eating disorder. So kind of, you know, goes hand in hand, not eating enough, not fueling your body enough, uh, whether it's bulimia or anorexia or another unspecified um, name for the eating disorder that would compose um, the female athlete triad. So uh, important for all coaches and anyone listening to look out for those two types of deficiencies that can happen in sport and to understand um, what to look for in your athlete. So if they're getting a lot of stress fractures, the number one thing is, are they eating enough? Are they, uh, you know, telling you or did they mention to friends that they don't have their period? Well, they're not eating enough. They're not giving their body what it needs and they're not going to be able to really do what you're asking of them well. So um, those were two great things she brought up. But in addition, she had this one quote um, that I think is really important for everyone to hear, uh, especially those of you who haven't been able to tell anyone, even friends or family, about your eating disorder. She said, shame and stigma thrive in silence. And that that is so true. That if, if you don't talk about it, if you can't tell other people, it's a lot easier for Ed to take hold and steer your life in the direction that he wants. Um, you can't break free of that eating disorder cycle if you don't say anything. I used to tell um, my fiance, Dylan, uh, before he was my fiance, that I, I need to talk about it. And if I'm not talking about my eating disorder or, or you know, my body or food um, at all, then it, it, could be a negative sign. It could be positive potentially, right? It means like I've totally moved on, but likely, especially at that time, if I wasn't talking about it at all, it really would mean that like Ed had come back and uh, taken hold and and that's not what we want. So the more you can talk about it, the more it's out in the open, especially with friends and family. That's some accountability that makes you realize, you know, you got supporters against Ed. It's not, it's not you versus him. You got a whole like community on your team. So don't forget, you know, bringing it up is hard, but once you can do it, it will make a big impact. The other thing that she said that I think, you know, is really important, especially here to address um, and something I hear all the time. How many of us have walked into a party or even just like dinner with family and someone compliments somebody else on their body? They say, oh, you look great today or... You know, it looks like you lost weight. That's awesome. Um, something, something about their body. And in general, um, Amelia brought up this this point that I think, you know, is so incredibly true that nothing good really comes from complimenting someone else on their body. Although you may think you're complimenting them or, um, you know, helping them feel good about themselves, you don't know why they look that way. You don't know if they have an eating disorder and they haven't eaten for a couple days and um, you just, 
reinforce that behavior. You don't know if they lost that weight because of cancer or they had um, some other illness like the flu or my dad had this tick-borne disease that I always forget the name of, but he lost a ton of weight and that wasn't a good thing. It wasn't good to lose that much weight so fast and telling you know somebody that can be really harmful. It's like, oh, you wish I was sad and depressed all the time and lost this much weight or you wish I always looked like I just had the flu. Um, it's just, it, it's never, it's never got a result that outweighs the potential benefit. So rule of thumb, unless you a hundred percent know, which it's really hard to know. Um, so maybe you don't. So rule of thumb, never comment on someone's body size. You don't have to, there's no good from it. Um, and really I think if we move forward and compliment people on, on other things, like, you know, something they did that was really impressive or their clothes they're wearing, if you got to talk about appearance or, you know, something else, something besides what their body looks like, I think we'd be in a much better place and have a lot less, you know, self-criticism too. Um, cause you wouldn't be hearing all these weird comments and compliments around you. So with all that said, uh, hopefully that's a little bit of food for thought. Today on the podcast, I'm really excited to welcome back a guest um, that we had back in May. It's Carolyn Robin from Quinnipiac University. She is the track coach there, the cross-country coach for women. Um, And with her today is Dana White, who's a registered dietitian and athletic trainer, which I thought was pretty awesome to be both of those, that works with all of the athletes at Quinnipiac. So between the two of them, we'll hear how collegiate athletes are helped um, and how coaches and dietitians can really make a difference for teams to avoid issues like Amelia, you know, has been dealing with. So um, here we go. Let me welcome Carolyn and Dana to the show. All right. So I'm here back at Quinnipiac University with Carolyn Robin, but this time we have Dana White, uh, the dietitian for all the sports at Quinnipiac or which one specifically? All of them. All of them. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 So um, I'm a uh, member of the athletic training staff and also a registered dietitian. So I work with all of our athletic teams, some more than others. That's just how it goes. Right. With everybody. Awesome. And how did you get into sports nutrition? Um, it really came out of athletic training. Working as an athletic trainer, I kind of realized I was encountering all these nutrition related issues with yeah. my athletes that I just did not feel prepared didn't know to enough about. deal with and yeah. I and I was already always passionate about nutrition um so I decided to go back to school and get a master's degree in nutrition and become a registered dietitian um and it's a good combo I feel in, in collegiate athletics because I get to work really closely with the athletic trainers yeah um to, to help really um understand the needs of athletes that's an awesome combination I don't know if I've met anyone else who's an athletic trainer yeah. we're a rare breed <laughs> right yeah there's there's a there's not many of us that have that that dual credential yeah um but um but we're out there okay cool yeah, yeah I'm a journalist and a dietitian and I never I never meet others like me oh so. you're I didn't know you were a dietitian yeah yeah I'm I don't a dietitian. think I knew that yeah cool. um yeah so that's why I'm interested in eating disorders and, and food um, so how do you address nutrition and eating disorders with your athletes as a, you know, combo together? Um, as a combo together, one of the things we always do is at the beginning of every season, we always have Dana come in and speak to the team just about general nutrition and pre and post fueling. 
and anything she can do to supplement what they're already doing. If they need help improving their diets, they reach out to her. Even if it's just checking on like a vitamin, if it's good, she's always a great resource for us to use. So that's one of the things we start with. Um, and then, you know, you have kids where she does a lot more individual meetings with athletes too. Right. Whether it's athletes that just need to improve their diets or athletes that may have more of an issue and an eating disorder that may need to work through it. And we have we have different levels of eating disorders. Right. You might have one where it's really not gotten to the point where it's bad and, and they just need a little kick in the butt to kind of help fix some things. And um, Dana does a great job like gearing them and getting them prepared and giving them the tools they need to help fuel themselves properly. And it's all about fueling to be able to do what we do on a right. daily basis. And so what are some of the things you tell the athletes on there, that first introduction? Um, so it, it depends on, it, it kind of, it, it really depends on what we're dealing with in terms of, you know, sometimes are we meeting with female and male runners together? Are we, you know, is it, is it just a group of freshmen? Because I also meet with the freshmen all individually and then oh, I'm, it's across all yeah. different sports. But but that initial initial contact is really just the basics. And, and I think it's important to me, um, just to build a little bit of a rapport as yeah, much as you can with so the group. They know and just, who you are, exactly. Right? So that it's not that they're trying to seek me out when there's a problem, that they already know that I'm there, that they can ask me the kind of one off questions. Um, I like to also establish the relationship with their team athletic trainer and say, you know, I, I work very closely with this person and, and they are the point person for your medical care. So we like to try to, you know, kind of create that team for them and that just so that they know that the resources are at their disposal. Right. If and when they need them. I think that's such a big deal. I remember at UConn where I went to school, kids didn't even know there was like a dietitian they could go to. Yeah. And I think sometimes despite us telling them, they're still like, oh, really? You know, you know, so but I think that's why we try to have those initial contacts and and then you know and then we get into the you know the the basics the pre and post workout how important it is the hydration i think a lot especially when we have athletes coming in at the collegiate level it's a completely different atmosphere they may have fueled really badly yeah. in high school and gotten away with it but then they get here and they realize that they can't really get away with that anymore so it's right. kind of getting them to understand that like the level is increasing and i think for some athletes that jump can be very problematic and, and may trigger something that's underlying or or may, you know, maybe, you know, kind of reignite some other issues that they've had with food in the past. So that's what we're trying to do is is before that really can become a bigger problem, um, just lay out some groundwork to say, like, look, you know, we can we can help you out. And we've even had students, you know, I have athletes come to you and say, I'm coming in here with some issues and, and you're like, okay, you know, I'm well controlled. I, I I feel like I'm in a good spot. And you're like, well, we're just going to get you in with Dana. Yeah. Just so they, even if you, know you don't them. need me. Right. Right. And then, and then there has been those circumstances where it may be a day later or it might be a year or two later that they end up kind of coming, coming for more support. Right. I know last time we talked a little about the difficulty of like athletes eating in a dining hall. Is that something you talk about a lot with them? And are there any strategies you have for other athletes who might be trying to figure out how to navigate the dining hall? So I, I we do all kinds. It, it kind of depends. I, I think our dining hall and our our dining services here at Quinnipiac are actually pretty good compared okay. to some other that I've seen. Um, but, you know, then you also, you know, you also get just, I think, the rumor, you know, any student just be like, oh, my God, the dining hall is horrible, you know, and it's yeah. like, well, no, we, you know, we, we have all, you know, I don't know. There's nothing to eat there. Right. Okay, come on. You know, <laughs> but, but I think um, I think sometimes, we, you know, with some athletes will go and do tours and we'll walk around or even just kind of, you know, if they have an allergy or something where they might need a little bit more direction in, in what they can and cannot eat. Um, 
you know, we, we can do that. So whether it's a team wide thing or a, I mean, we always talk about how we have really good salmon here. You know what I mean? I'm like, get the salmon. Like people don't think cafeteria salmon is the way to go. I know for some reason, fish is always the thing people are worried about. And I don't blame them really, but I think we have it on good authority that at least here at Quinnipiac, we have good, you know, so we're just yeah. kind of saying like, no, really you should try it. You right. know, so even just some of those little things where like you hear from a teammate or something like that, um, you know, you know, we, we had like the smoothie bar open up a few years ago and that's been really popular or we have this, you know, this bowl station now that makes all these different bowls. So, that you know, it, it's kind of, you know, what the vibe of the team is and, and, and you know, saying, okay, you have, to, you have to try this because it's actually pretty good. Yeah. I guess I was wondering a little, like, sometimes you can go into the dining hall and just feel like I don't know where to begin or you're used to your parents putting a meal on the table and now, like, it's all your choice. And how do you talk to them about that? I mean, I think Dana does do a nice job in the past when we've had kids that wanted more help. She was a, she would like, like she said, she'd do walkthroughs with them to tell right. them like what are some good things that they can do and what are some good meals to help them. Like here's, here's where you should go on a regular basis to make sure you're getting your vegetables, making sure you're getting your carbs, making sure you're getting a good protein. So she's really good at being, and, and she communicates well with the calf staff to, um, because we do some of our preseason meals through the cafeteria right. that we're doing a whole team meal and Dana's always communicating with them and saying these are the types of needs that we have and I think that they have kind of taken her ideas and done it throughout the CAF um, and making sure that they have this for the general student body too because she has good ideas on what's yeah. healthy and what people want to eat. So when you say have this, what is this? What are you telling the kids that they should be having? So I, I think one of the biggest issues, you know, what kind of tends to dictate people's choices is like when the line is long, oh, you, yeah. you know, and they don't definitely, but, but then, you know, even something as simple as, as saying, okay, if you know that every Tuesday when you go to lunch, the line for sandwiches is super long, then you're not just don't get a sandwich on Tuesdays. You know, and don't, stressful. Let, don't let that be your excuse for, <laughs> yeah. for not having lunch before practice or, or something like that. So Sometimes it's just navigating and other times it's targeting certain foods like, OK, they always have tofu in the salad bar or that's something that like, you know, it, w it was kind of spotty. So then I went back to food service and said, look, can you have this potentially more often because we have, you know, some plant based Vegetarian, athletes that really yeah. want that. And, and then they they seem to be able to, to do that more frequently. So sometimes it's just kind of, you know, kind of polling the audience and then going back and saying, you know, this is something I know that you guys could do. Could you possibly do it more often? Right. Um, and I think, I don't know, I think the cafeteria can be a good opportunity to try new things, Yeah, you know, as opposed to, you, you don't have to go to the store and buy it and then bring it home and prepare it and then decide like you don't like it. Cook it. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, if you're saying, you know, you get those athletes that say, I don't like fruits and vegetables or, you know, or I don't, I hate broccoli, you know, I'm like, well, when's the last time you had broccoli? And they say, you know, I was seven. Okay. Well, it's like, you don't know really if you don't like it anymore or not. Yeah. So, and here's a free opportunity to try it because it's sitting right there. So right. I try to encourage them to use the cafeteria. Not so, I, I get it can be overwhelming, right. but try to switch it and say like, look, this is a, a free pass to try maybe some foods that you don't think you like, or you haven't had in a while yeah. and maybe expand your, your, uh, your nutrient intake a little bit. Yeah. That's funny. Cause so I worked in, um, seven, I think seven boarding schools as a dietitian this past year. And uh, it was really incredible to talk to kids who would be like, yeah, I don't like any vegetable. Mm -hmm. And you were like, have you ever had them? Right. And they'd be like once or maybe even never. And we did a lot of like tasting, just retasting and being like 10 tries, you right. know, 12 tries, something. Um, and I bet with athletes, they might even feel 
like, well, I don't know if I'll race well or perform well if I eat that food because um, I haven't had it before practice before. Do you ever see that? I, I mean, my general rule, I always tell the women, like, you want, when you're eating a, a big meal, yeah. uh, you're eating lunch, you're eating your full dinner, and you're racing, you want to make sure you give yourself three hours to digest. Yeah. That's kind of my man. general, like, three <laughs> hours, <less> than that. <laughs> three hours, that's your digestion. So you can snack closer, you know, but the snacks, you want to keep something definitely that your body's a little more used to. On race day, of course, you want to keep it, uh, you want to keep it something that your body is used to digesting. And even even on hard workout days, the girls are, you know, they're really wanting to make sure they're eating something good so they feel good for their workout. Yeah. So they on days where it's just easy recovery days, that's their days where they can be afford to be like, oh, I'll try something different. And if I have a cramp or something, it's no big deal. It's just an easy day. You're not right. affecting your training. But they definitely worry more about when they have a big workout coming up or when they have race day coming up. But as long as they're trying it, you know, race day, you sh- you should eat what your body normally eats. Right. You shouldn't change things. You keep it keep it normal. Yeah. Um. And so I kind of push that, and I push that as long as you're doing three hours before with your major meal, you're good for digestion, and you can snack. You can have a banana. You can have a bagel. You know, as you get closer in that time frame. Uh. You know, even like, you know, we have we have a lot of kids. You know, my sprinters who are doing multiple races at a meet. So right. now you're talking about we're competing at like hours three apart. times three times in the, in one day and they don't want to eat anything in between and and I'm constantly saying okay, well, you need to refuel. You have another race coming up. You yeah. need some energy. You need to fuel. Oh, I only have an hour before my next race. Okay, have an orange, have a banana, have a granola bar. Let's do something where you're getting something in your system uh, before your next race because they really will go through a day. And I we had a decathlete, not a decathlete, heptathlete this yeah, year I did for the first time. Them. And that was a challenge, getting her to eat throughout the day yeah. because you're competing all of the day and everything's like a half hour apart. So it is difficult to eat. But it was, you know, when she was throwing, we had her eating a little more because right. she didn't have to worry about cramping up. And the events where we didn't have to worry about cramping up, she was, we were trying to push eating a little more. But it, I had to kind yeah. of follow her around all day to kind of push her to eat, to eat so all funny. throughout the day so she would compete well. Yeah, that's something I definitely don't think about because I did have Tathlon um, in high school, but then I, in college, I only ever did, you know, one race, right? Like that day. Um, what's some, you said a few, but what are some other examples of like food you would recommend to an athlete to eat? eat if you only have that hour or so i mean i and protein is always good but protein can be tough in to between, digest quickly yeah right in between races so i always pick like the quick uh, you know we always have those easy peel little um oranges uh, like clementines um, the clementines yeah. we always have those so i'm always pushing those bananas i think are really gentle and easy some people don't like them but i always like that um any just like bagel or anything like that can help them that they so can more quickly. like carbohydrate if yeah. i can get them to eat a granola bar that has like nuts and stuff in it too that gives them a little more protein i think that usually is pretty good they're usually you know the nature valley ones that do have a lot of sugar in them but that's kind of what they need in but between that's what they need um, yeah but those are the kind of things that I push in between um, races. Dana has kind of given us more of like, these are some things that are great fueling too. So we've now gone more towards Luna bars and uh, the girls love RX bars. So we get a lot more of those things that she's suggested to really help um, 
nutritionally in between the i will say the girls love fruit snacks too which <laughs> hey you really just quick, need sugar <laughs> quick snack. that's what you need then. i hate the fruit snacks but only because my teeth are terrible uh, <laughs> but uh but the girls really like doing fruit snacks too and that one's a quick one where you know if they're competing a half an hour i'm like they're all right not grab gonna some fruit get a snacks. stomach ache yeah no just grab a bag of fruit snacks eat those and at least that will give you a little something um and then we push you know drinking uh, having Gatorade and having having water, make sure they're drinking throughout the day too. Right. So this is sort of switching gears, but I get this question all the time and I got it after we recorded a podcast before. Um, you know, people often are like, what is the, the perfect meal that I should be eating, right? And they're like, can you just give me that meal plan and that, that success plan? And what do you say to that? Because I... I've never, you know, happened upon this success yes. plan. The <laughs> perfect meal. No, there yeah. is no such thing. There, there is no, and I think, you know, I, I get that in the, you know, I get a lot of, that, just tell me what to eat and I'll eat it, you yeah. know, and, and, and I quickly come back with, no, you won't, or, or maybe you will like once <laughs> or twice and then, you know, you, so I, I think um, there is no one perfect thing. It, it, it comes down to kind of personal tolerance yeah. and that's. A, a physical thing that's an emotional thing um and a happiness right yeah like, what do you, you like? gotta eat what you like and and that's the you know on the flip side i i don't i really don't believe in forcing yourself to eat something that you don't like for the sake of it being good for you either because right. i would make the argument that there is definitely some other food that has those same nutrient benefits yeah. that we could find that you do like instead of forcing yourself <laughs> to eat the one that you that you for some reason convinced yourself you should be having so um yeah, it really becomes a, m- a more personalized thing. E- even just using like fruit as an example, I, I, tr- I typically, because you were saying with like the bananas, I-, I typically don't say like eat this fruit. I'll say eat a piece of fruit and then one that you know you tolerate well. Okay, so like I can eat an apple and feel fine, but someone else might eat one and not feel fine. So yeah. I don't want to pigeonhole like one particular food as as much as I can give examples of things. Okay, if we're talking about easily digestible carbs or we're talking about, you know, something with more protein maybe for post-workout, you know, you're giving a variety of it examples and then hitting on what that individual actually does like to eat, right? And then of course, if they have special dietary needs or food allergies or something like that, um, you know, th- then we need to accommodate for those too. But, or even you know, same thing like what do I eat the night before a meet it's like you don't really eat that different than you would if it was yeah before a practice you know you you want it to be like a healthy balanced meal something that you like something that you know you digest well you know if 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 you know if tacos don't always set right with you then don't I wouldn't roll the dice on that the night before a meet (laughs) Um, even if you love them you know yeah or we have that conversation with Chipotle a lot you know so it's the idea of having like a comfortable you know, meal that you like that, you know, you you know, that, that we have some healthy carbs, we have protein, we have healthy fat, you know, whatever that it's balanced. And that's really the best choice for you. It's not this one particular matchup of right. these magical foods that are going to give you this, this performance edge. And that also kind of makes the student or the athlete, you know, learn how to eat, right? They can learn to make choices instead of following a plan. Correct. Um, I hope so. I hope so. I think some of them are more rigid in those beliefs than yeah. others. So it's just like, <laughs> just relax. Like, oh yeah, you like, yeah, just eat it, you know? Like, uh, yeah. you know, you hate brown rice. Stop forcing yourself to eat brown rice, okay? Mm. Eat white rice and then we'll get the whole grain someplace else. You right. know, I think, I think a lot of times, especially athletes that, are very motivated, you yeah. know, or the, especially the ones very that very common with runners. Right, too, they buy yeah. into the nutrition. They want to do the best, but then they, they kind of put themselves in this position where they're forcing themselves to eat things they don't really like. Um, and I don't know that that's beneficial. Yeah, definitely. Um, so last time I got a couple questions after the podcast about 
specifically speaking to athletes about their body. And we mentioned it a little bit, but I think a lot of listeners were wondering, like, how do you talk to a group of girls or talk to a group of boys and not make them, you know, think about their body or objectify their body as if it's the problem? I mean, we always try to frame everything in fitness and not, you know, I'm never, we're never really talking about how their bodies look. Um, we're more framing and fueling to, to be able to complete a workout. Okay. Be able to, you know, and, and I, it's hard for me because all throughout college for me, the way I thought was like, if I didn't eat a good lunch cause I didn't have time and I had class, I was stressing that I wasn't going to have the energy to complete right. my workout. Yeah. And I know that obviously that a lot of these girls are thinking the opposite, like, so I was all about like, oh my gosh, I didn't feel enough today. I'm going to bonk in my workout and I'm not going to feel good and yeah, it's going to be which awful. which is correct. Right. Right. And these other girls are doing the exact opposite. Like, oh, I ate too much today and, and I, I'm not going to like, whoa, 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 whoa. So I, I try to frame it the way that I view it and, and I don't know that, you know, that works for everyone. So yeah. I'm looking for new ways in the, in the way to frame it because for me, it was always just simple. Like I need to fuel because if I don't fuel, it's not going to go well. Yeah. And if, if I'm not hydrated well that day and it's a really hot day, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to struggle. And so it's all about like putting gas in the tank. Yeah. And if they're not putting the gas in the tank, the car isn't, is going to stop. Right. And <laughs> so kind of, I try yeah. to frame it in that way. Like you're putting gas in your tank and if you come to practice and there's no gas in the tank, you're not going to have a good workout. Right. And so I, I, I kind of frame it in that way. And, and it does work, I think for some people. And I feel like some people, they, they can't see it the, that way. Yeah. It's very logical. Like you're saying, you know, if you, if you eat enough and you're eating the right types of foods in terms of enough carbs, enough protein, enough fat, you can, you know, complete your workout. But I think other people see the people who do the best workout are really little or really thin. So to do the best workout, I need to be thin instead of thinking like, how did, how do they actually do their running? They're thinking like, what type of body do they have and are doing that? Yeah. I always like to point out the really great athletes that you can tell are strong. Yeah. And you can tell are, are doing everything the right way. And they're great. And, and I, whenever I have an opportunity, uh, New Hampshire had this one runner who was phenomenal. The girl was strong. She was powerful. Um, she was not your typical, very, very lean, lean. I mean, she was lean, but she was muscle and yeah. she worked hard and I loved everything she stood for. And so did the girls. And I made sure that I, we empowered her and said, look at her. And she was, she was, she was, went to NCAAs every year. She was right. on, the top of the, uh, on the top of the food chain, basically, as far as our sport goes, she was on top and she was doing it right. And she right. was an amazing person. So I always try to make sure I point out um, some of these amazing women that are doing things the right way. And so that they can open their eyes and say, wow, like this, this is how you do it. You right. have to be strong. You have to be doing it all the right way. And, and, and I, these other weaker looking athletes, they're, they're not, they're the ones that are losing the race. And when it comes down to it, they right. cannot, they're not the going to have that athletes. kick at the ends. If so, I try, I always try to point that out and you have some teams that do a great job with it. And I always point out those teams that have just really strong runners. Look at this. This is, this is the kind of team we want to have. Look at that team that look how well they're doing. And you know, I right. try to point out strong women that are doing it right. That's awesome. Yeah. Better role models than just, um, this is you know, the thinnest person and they're doing, they're doing the best. Right. 
Right. And, and I think I think not getting hung up on numbers is really important. Yeah. And, and that's very difficult, I think, for for kind of adolescent and, and kind of college age females yeah. to do. So, and I think, I mean, athletes are, are you know, the, the needs of athletes are very different. The demand on athletes is very different. You know, if even if you just look at, at the weight of an athlete, it's composed of many different things. So right. I think to get up on a, <laughs> to get hung up on a number, nothing good really comes from that. No. Um. And and again, you know, if we're not looking at body composition and we're not looking at you know lean body mass and things like that, I, we're we're missing a, a big part of it. Right. So I, I think to get I try to encourage athletes to not get hung up on the numbers. You know, we as a as a sports medicine staff try to not get hung up on on weighing. And most of the athletes, if I'm putting them on a scale, I'm not letting them see the numbers anyway, um, because I, I don't you know the messaging out there is to an overweight american population because we do have that we have an obesity epidemic here but most a large majority of that messaging and those rules don't apply to athletes especially at the division one level right so the messaging is you need to eat less you need to weigh less you need less sodium you need you know like this that and the other thing but when we're talking about athletes like they actually most athletes need to eat more. Right. Most athletes need more sodium in their diet. You know, they don't necessarily, I don't want them necessarily going for the lowest sodium yeah, option. They're they sweating. need to replenish that electrolyte. So yeah. they're so bombarded by... The public health. Yes, or even on a college campus. You know what I mean? Like the environment for the non-athletes, what, what kind of the athletes encounter, I yeah. think especially for, for female athletes, can be very difficult because they're seeing... You know, you know, the a lot a large percentage of the student population and they're going on crash diets and they're and they're kind of using all these behaviors, but they don't put that same demand on their body that we are right. asking them to do as athletes. So it kind of feeds into that idea of, of maybe getting that the, the, they don't want to fuel properly, you know, because it is more framed on the aesthetic of things when they're not thinking about what they need to do to be strong. Right. So so yeah, I think that idea of focusing on, on being strong and, and feeling strong as opposed to attaching it to a number or about weight or things like that it is important. It's not always easy to do, no, yeah. but I think it's it's important and just kind of always hitting home that the needs of athletes are very, very different, especially at this level. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a problem I see a lot is that people take the public health messaging or the like message for everyone and are like, well, it applies to me, of course. Right. But if you're, you know, a long distance runner or thrower or any sort of athlete, you're not you're not there. You're right. It's not time for keto. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, no, I mean, it might never be time <laughs> yeah, for no, keto, yeah. <laughs> but, but definitely not for them. Um, so that's great. Uh, so are there any other kind of issues or topics that are coming up more frequently nowadays with your athletes or your um, nutrition appointments? Uh yeah, I mean, with runners, we're always we're always focused on that. I think as a as a kind of team, we're trying to figure out the best ways to uh, you know do better iron screening for yeah. for our female runners. Um, again, that's an area that you know too little iron is obviously detrimental, but too much iron is also detrimental. So right. it's again, it's you know get, doing the proper diagnostics. I think we've spent the last couple of years trying to get our incoming athletes to come in with a ferritin level yeah. so that we can have a baseline and then we can follow them so that we we have that baseline. And then if we see, you know, there's a good chance that maybe, you know, as the training hikes up, we're going to need to pay better attention to that. So if we have that baseline, I think that then that gives us a lot it makes it a lot easier for us to, to not only screen problems and maybe prevent them, some of them before they happen, but if a couple of years in, it, they start to be depleted, um, we have a better plan of attack and we know exactly how to approach it. So that that's something we spend a lot of time talking about iron, right? And I, you might notice, Carolyn, like first when someone's having an iron 
uh, deficiency because they get slower? Is that commonly what you see? Yeah, it's really hard though. Yeah. You know, you don't know if it's just, it's a, we have long seasons. You yeah. don't know if the athlete is just, just fatigued tired. in their iron. I, I had one athlete last year who I could have sworn it was totally iron related. I couldn't figure out where, why she wasn't competing the way I thought she could. Tested her iron, she was fine. So it's very difficult. It's not as right. straightforward as you think. Like you, when you train an athlete hard, sometimes they just get fatigued and it has nothing to do with their iron levels. Yeah. Um, and it, again, if they're not, getting proper sleep or and it, everything's changed you know when they when especially when they first come to college you know they're, right. they're used to being at home they're they're in their comfort zone at home their tra- trainings changed they're lifting they're lifting now they're, yeah they might not they have done that at all more. like there's a lot of things that change when they come in as a freshman so one of the things we try to do is talk to them about a lot of the like not getting overwhelmed and explain to them a lot of the different changes that are going to take place and that there is going to be an adjustment period um, but it is really hard to diagnose whether or not um, you know it's the iron that's 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 coming down or there's just too many other factors that can create you know lack of performance to, to just mental you know, yeah, it, it could be just sure. a mental like thing where, you know, they have one bad race and then all of a sudden the rest of their season is going poorly because they're, they're doubting themselves. Right. And so, um, it's, it often is very hard to tell whether, whether it could just be that one factor of iron. Yeah. My track coach, I think, oh no, maybe my cross country coach in high school used to say like, it's 97% mental or something. And, uh, my mom thought that was ridiculous. Cause she was like, clearly your body is doing this. And I was like, no, he's right. <laughs> like, it I, is. it's yeah. a lot. Our yeah. sport is a, a very you're mental. thinking the whole time. You can have some incredible athletes that are really mentally tough. And if they are mentally tough, they're going to beat the more talented athlete every time because yeah. they want it. They, they don't know how to lose and they they're confident in their ability right and that confidence is huge confidence is what it does it and it's it's how you build that confidence you know but that's a whole nother topic yeah (laughs) so we talk a lot about eating disorders in the running community because i think that's often where we see it but you work with all the sports so what other sports are you seeing disordered eating problems commonly so so disordered eating we see Across the board. I mean, you see that everywhere. Um, You know, true eating disorders um, is obviously a more severe, um, severe issue. And and thankfully, we see that in a smaller population. Um, But we see it across all sports, unfortunately. It does tend to be more female uh, sports than male sports. Um, but you, you know, it, it really, it really runs the gamut from, from just about every, you know, whether it's a team sport an individual sport, we don't have a lot of weight focused sports here at Quinnipiac. We don't have gymnastics, we don't have rowing. Um, and and so, and even despite that, we see, you know, pretty severe cases, um, of, of eating disorders across all of our sports. And how do you talk to other coaches about it if they're not as in tune with um, what might be causing a problem? It can be tricky. It definitely can. So it, I think, you know, it definitely does help to have, you know, a coach like Carolyn, who fortunately or unfortunately is, is no stranger, you know, to, to, to dealing with this. Um, but it, it really depends on the situation. It depends on, I, I think it depends on where the athlete is at um, in terms of, of, of their illness and, and how comfortable they are disclosing and what they're comfortable talking about. I mean, we've had situations where we pretty much, you know, again, there may be some elephant in the room and the coaches aren't completely unaware of what's going on. Right. We've just left it as let the medical team do what they need to do, um, and we will keep you informed in terms of what they're in terms of participation and how they're pro- they're you know how they're progressing. Um, but but maybe we leave them in the dark as much as we can. Right. Um, okay. I, honestly, 
and again, I don't encounter this a ton here, but it, it happens all the time. Sometimes the coaches are, are part of the problem, um, intentionally or unintentionally, right? Oh, yeah. and, and so, you know, again, they, they think that they're saying the right thing. And, and for that particular athlete, it's the totally wrong thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I encourage them to, to try to do their best to kind of stay out of it, to, to be supportive, to lend that ear if the athlete wants to talk to them. But other than that, just to say, you know, like we're here for you. We want you to take care of yourself just like they would for any other injury. Right. You know what I mean? And, and so that's, that's the approach. Like they're not the doctor. They're Correct. not the dietitian. Right. So that's yeah. the approach we try to, we try to take with them. Uh, we have a, a pretty, um, a pretty well-established team between myself, the athletic trainers, our head athletic trainer who kind of stays in the loop on, on all of it, as well as whichever athletic trainer is involved in the particular team where there is an athlete with an eating disorder. Um, and then we have a, a mental health person um, actually off campus that specializes in eating disorders. And, oh, okay. and we kind of, you know, we ra- we, we circle the wagons when yeah. we need to. Um, and we really throw that, that kind of interdisciplinary um, team um, at the disposal of that athlete to help care for them the best we can. Great. So yeah, not relying on the coach to solve to solve this person. No, problem. the coach has enough to do. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and, and that's, <laughs> that's the other thing too. None of us are going to fix this. You no. can't. You can't fix it. You can't fix this person. I think sometimes coaches want to do that. They want to fix it. <laughs> they can't. You know what I mean? We have to get this this athlete the support that they need. Right. Um. But we can't. We're not going to fix it. I think it's a conversation I have with parents a lot too. Yeah. You can't fix this. You can't challenge them or threaten them or i mean i've had parents be like we'll just make it like a competition and get them to eat oh more. no just, again, just don't, and again it comes oh, from no. a good place it's their parent yeah but they don't understand the nature uh, you know and for, i don't know in a way i I'm, I'm glad that they don't it's horrible you know to, right. to truly understand what goes on in the mind of someone suffering like that yeah. but um it, it's really just i i you know we we have the medical team kind of do their thing and then those kind of ancillary people to be supportive is really what i feel is is the best when we can when we can make that happen great yeah so just uh two more questions so my last you know serious question is how would you talk to parents you've talked a lot about you know how do you talk to coaches but when is the time where you talk to the parent and what advice do you give to them um i i haven't had too much interaction with with parents on this i feel like at they're adults right yeah at this stage of the game we're handling it with the athlete Mm -hmm. um so have very rarely have i had parents that have gotten involved um usually if i get parents involved it has nothing to do with an eating disorder or anything like that right um but when I have talked to a couple of parents, we just assure them that we have a team here. Um, yeah. and that, and Dana keeps emphasizing that fact. We do. I, I think Quinnipiac, I don't know if it's unique to Quinnipiac. I don't know how other places do it. But yeah. I think we're pretty lucky in the way that we do yeah. do things because Dana works so closely with athletic training, athletic training works so closely with the doctors. And I mean, we really give them all the full support that, you know, they could possibly get. Uh, at at this level, which I think is important. Yeah. So I mean, it's a huge selling point for our school that we have a huge support team. And right. Everybody is commuting. It's definitely together. not across the board everywhere. So, <laughs> so I think it's comforting for parents. Um, you know, when they come in to see the team, um, I think one of the athletes that I've had in the past, uh, that was one thing that they, I didn't realize they were looking for when they came to realize oh, wow. how supportive of a program we had. And that's probably one of the reasons why they came to Quinnipiac yeah. was because they realized how supportive the team and the group and everything was. And they knew they were going to get the help and hopefully be able to be successful here. Um, so I, I think uh, it's a great thing that we have going on but we just we just tell the parents that we we have it under control and, yeah and we're working on it and if you have really you know, like big concerns don't don't hesitate to reach out about major concerns but um 
we let, like Dana said, we let the medical team kind of take, take over the lead. for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, the parents, and I mean, I've had, I've had, you know, encounters with athletes and then I've had the parent come to me separately right. and I've had to tell them, like, I, I can't talk to you, yeah. you know, and I, it, again, I sometimes they don't understand that there's that there is that kind of chain of command and there is that HIPAA <laughs> once they are an adult. I know. It's I need really that, right, hard. I need that yeah. athlete's permission. I mean, I, I, I had to tell one, you know, parent recently, I said, look, you know, with all due respect, I cannot talk to you about this. And she came to me and she was trying to give me all this information. And I said, I, you know, unless I have her permission we can't really discuss this any further which is really challenging i think for parents right to, who is con- like, so concerned yeah. about their child right and 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 this and this this parent was 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 good about it and we got permission and then it kind of opened up a conversation um i think sometimes where we do there is an increased reliance on the parents is you know when that athlete goes home for the summer or if if unfortunately they are struggling so much here that the amount of care that we have on our kind of outpatient basis is not enough for them and they need to seek uh kind of a higher level of care then we then it becomes more involved with the parents yeah um sometimes that's a source of stress for the athlete because they're like i don't want to go to a therapist off campus on my insurance because then i have to tell my mom you know so there's there's that aspect of it, um, and we we've used all kind of strategies around that. But um, you know, or or that again is like when they go home for the summer, we don't want their care to just abruptly stop for three months. Right. We have to set up a, a we have to set up a team for them. You know, especially if they if they live in another state or something like that. So there does become a need to get a parent a parent or parents involved in some of those things. But I've had to have some very hard conversations with those parents before, and, and you know, I had you know. You know, you can't, you know, I've had parents think that they, they, that their job is to go home and weigh their child and force feed them. Right. (laughs) It's coming from a good place. Parents like that. But I have had to say, I (laughs) have had to say, you can't do that. I, I did say to one mother once, do not ever weigh her again, please. And again, coming from a good place and getting them, like she's trying to help. She, she truly, you know, and I have parents that are also part of the problem. Yeah. This was not that case. This was a parent that was really trying to help and just didn't know how. Um, so again, just kind of hammering home that they need to be that support. They're not a clinician. They're not, even if they are a clinician, yeah. they're not. Don't gonna, be they their should, kids. Correct. <laughs> correct. And, and and so, you know, again, sometimes I have found having that candid conversation um, is sometimes, you know, the, the best route to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Great advice for everyone. Um, so last question. I've already asked Carolyn, so it's your turn, Dana. But okay. uh, what is your favorite food? <gasps> I love that question. <laughs> that question is so hard. <laughs> it is it really hard. It depends on the day. Yeah. Oh, my God. I have so many favorite Well, today. Oh, it's today? like 99 degrees outside. Oh, today. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> today. Well, I, I'm a huge ice cream fan. Yeah. A me huge. too. Like, and not the fake no sugar free like the real deal ice cream so that's got to be the top of one the top of my list for one of them actually i work you know this right that i worked at an ice cream store yes for all of uh, high school and love college Ashley's. maybe the best job i've ever had in my life no offense to anyone <laughs> to quit it back no but it was a yeah so i i, I love ice cream that's definitely the top of my list um and i really like pizza Pizza's good, especially in New Haven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saying it. We have so many (laughs) students from New York that try to lay. I'm like, no no way. New Haven pizza all the way. Um, (laughs) But yeah, those are definitely, yeah, very carb heavy foods. And they're delicious. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you both so much. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Um, I just want to remind you, if you do like it, please, please rate and review the podcast, especially on iTunes, and please share it. Um, We want more listeners. We need, you know, 
just a few more to really get this podcast off the ground. So find a new friend, uh, share it on Facebook or wherever. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll grow. And also, if you're interested in a shirt, I now have running Worth Your While Nutrition shirts. So you're welcome to order one. Um, just email me at worthyourwhilenutrition at gmail.com and I'll send you all the information. For more updates and information, just check out my Instagram, Worth Your While, and Facebook at Worth Your While Nutrition. And of course, my website, worthyourwhile.com. So I uh, hope you all have a wonderful week.